1: and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure to have the opportunity to welcome special guest Christian Delo Huerta to the show today. With 30 years of experience, Christian is sought after. As a spiritual teacher, a personal transformation coach, and the leading voice in the breathwork community, Christian has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats, combining psychological and spiritual teachings with lasting and life-changing effects. An award-winning, critically acclaimed author, he has spoken at numerous universities and conferences and on the TEDx stage. His new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, was described by multiple Grammy award-winning singer Gloria Estefan as a bomb for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. More information about his work may be found at www.soulpower.com. It's a great pleasure. I welcome Christian to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me,
0: Jason. I'm, I'm happy to be here with you. Welcome to the show. I just It's just a pleasure to have you here. Uh, I'm all about mindfulness, and I know you're a spiritual person too, and I just find having this kind of a conversation at the end of my work week is a refreshing thing. And I know our audience is going to enjoy this very much. I uh, want to get into a couple of things. First, I want to ask you, how did you get Gloria Estefan to write uh, the forward or, you know, some praise for your book? Cause I'm, I'm a that, big fan going is, back to the Miami sound machine when I was a little well kid.
2: That, it has to do with that actually. Uh you know, it's, it's a testament to perseverance. Like if you believe in something, stick with it and follow it through. I basically courted her for three years to get that endorsement. Um, and, you know, I read that she was gonna be honored at some kind of nonprofit gala down here in Miami. And so I bought a ticket and I went. And at the end of it, I made a beeline just to make sure that I spoke, spoke with her before she left. And she was really friendly, really accessible. Like she spoke to anybody who was there waiting for her. And so that's how I connected with her. You know, before Gloria was Gloria, when it was Miami (laughs) Sound Machine, they used to play at our our high school dances. And so we laughed about that. And and then I told her a little bit about the book and um, she gave me her manager's card. And that's what took two years, right? He was doing his job being the guard dog, the guardian. um, And, you know, like I almost gave up. A couple of times and and one time i had this shift in thinking and i thought all right well what's gonna she probably is bombarded with requests like this what's gonna what's gonna touch her heart uh, like what's in it for her and in, 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 in and in a sense and so i thought about this book is a is a part of a series on on hero on heroism what it means to live a heroic life in the 21st century so I rewrote my entire approach and my, wrote her a completely different email. And I said, look, I know you probably don't think of yourself as this because I can see that you're a humble person. Um, but the way that you're recovered from your bus accident has been an inspiration to millions and millions of people all over the world. And it was nothing short of heroic. Then I'd done some research and find out her father had been a counter-revolutionary. So, in other words, he fought against the, the Castro wow. regime. And as did my parents, you know, from Cuba, he was here. And so I said the, you know, the sacrifices your your, your parents and your, your dad made and my parents made are again nothing short of heroic. Then I find also read that she'd helped a lot of Latino artists, you know, like make it as in, in that world. So I spoke about her generosity, all of it true, like all of it authentic. It was just a matter of reframing it. And then I asked her, would you help this fellow Cuban American reach a broader audience uh, with this powerful and empowering message that's that. And so she, I waited another three months and I was about to give up again. And just this little voice in me just said, just one more email, I said, all right, one more email. And, and I said, so I said to him, look, I'm not stalking you. I just want, I just want to make sure you're getting my emails. And um, this time he wrote right back and he said, she's about halfway through, she's loving the book. And can you give us another, another week? Um, of course, I would have given them another three months, but, um, but, but that's, that's the story of that. So again, like persevere.
0: What's that like knowing your books being reviewed by Gloria Estefan, you're waiting for the response to see if she'll
2: like, stamp her approval on it or not were you nervous or what were you thinking it was you know it's like kind of like that disbelief and yeah exciting because huh. like you i like i i'm such a fan of her as a human being she's such an incredible person i love her music too um and the fact that she is cuban-american as I, as i am um you know it's just another layer of of delight i love that uh, what a
0: great story i appreciate you sharing that with us i was looking at your book uh-huh Awakening to Soul Power, How to Live Heroically and Set Yourself Free. And I know this is the first of three books in a series. And my first question when I was looking at this book is, what
2: does it mean to you to be a hero in our modern time, 2020, 2021? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I think, by the way, that's one of the ways in which COVID, uh, without minimizing the tra- the tragic parts of it, one of the ways in which it has served is, it's it's helped us to expand what that word means. I I think for most of us before COVID, when we thought of heroes, you know, we thought of a superhero with a cape, or or maybe a warrior, or or first responder, or firefighter, some somebody like that, somebody who places their life at risk for the same for the sake of somebody else or a bigger or larger cause. Now we include our medical professionals, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists, and I think we even include like grocery store clerks yes. and delivery people who literally placed their their lives at risk and made a lot of sacrifices to keep the rest of us fed and provided for. And so the book asks the question: What about the rest of us? Right to kind of coast through life um, sub unconsciously and just kind of be buffeted um, by and and impacted by other people's demands and expectations and judgments and unquestioning why we believe the the things we believe and why we do the things we do anybody can do that to to take the time and the effort to go inside and, and to face our inner demons, to transcend and overcome our, our own fears, our the, our own obstacles that we have allowed ourselves to be held back by, to, to understand to the, you know, the patterns of what we do, the things we do, um, to get really honest and, and realize that there is one common denominator in every single one of our relationships. So if we want to understand why we get into these patterns of relationships, Uh, so that we that are often self-sabotaging you know to 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 be willing to ask all those questions it's nothing short of heroic you mentioned the term
0: spiritual awakening in your in your first chapter and i wanted to ask you when did you have your first spiritual awakening in your life and what impact did it have on you writing this book or the series i should say
2: i think there have been you know several layers of that i think I mean, I know that one, a really big one was when I first did breath work, um, a little bit over 30 years ago. And I was on a track to get a PhD in psychology. My dad was a psychiatrist. So I come out of that psychotherapy tradition. When I discovered breathwork, um, I jumped tracks. Like one session after my first session, I knew that I'd never be the same. And, and I knew that I had to do it again. And I knew that I had to, to make it available to others. And I jumped tracks. Like I, you know, now now I offer it all over the world. Um, never went for the you know the formal um, PhD track, um, and and I think part of what it did it was, like it was it was that combined with understanding what the ego mind is, um, and I and I took this week in intensive with the te- teacher that I that I reference in the book, in which you know and that week and I both breathed did breath work for the first time and understood what the ego mind is, the combination was so powerful that it just forever changed my life. And in terms of, of the power part of it, you know, right write that I'm, I'm an unlikely person to be writing about heroism and personal empowerment uh, because my first 10 years of life were in a communist regime. And for anybody who you know doesn't know what that means, the discussion about personal power is kind of ludicrous in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a totalitarian dictatorial regime in which the, the government, the state, pretty much owns you and, and and tells you what to do and what you can and cannot do. And, and my family was also very, very Catholic. And so that's another very hierarchical power structure in which, you know, powers from top down and you're told what to believe, what not to believe, what's right, what's wrong. Mm. Uh, and with all due respect, you know, to 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 any tradition, it's for me, when when so, so when I came to the States, um, I can't tell you how painfully shy I was. And and part of the reason was that my parents, because my parents were counter-revolutionaries and they were conspiring um, against Castro and, and, and kind of cahoots with the with the CIA, CIA from here. Um, we were kind of raised with this implicit message: It's like they didn't they didn't really tell us what was going on. We didn't really know what was going on, but the implicit message was was not to be seen too much, right? To kind of blend and and not to not shine too much. At the same time, that we all had this this drive for to excel and and to and to be good students and all that. I was okay one on one. But if you added a third human being, I clammed up. And um, when we came to the States, that even got worse because of course not speaking a word of English, but, but I was a good student. You know, one of, the, one of the blessings to me, one of the gifts of having been raised in Cuba is we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching. So we grew up reading and we grew up playing outside and creating our own games, inventing our own pastimes. And I'm so grateful for that. And because I had such a relationship with with words and with the, with reading, I did well in high school. Um, I probably had all A's except for one B. And I didn't set out to do this intentionally, but looking back on it, I know that subconsciously I sabotaged my grade point average because back then there is no way, there is like no possible way that I could have gotten up in front of an auditorium filled with hundreds and hundreds of people and delivered the valedictorian speech. There's just no way. I wasn't up for that. The reason that I share that story is because these days, as you were talking about in in the intro, it's like I speak all over the world. I've spoken at dozens of universities, conferences, bookstores, uh, churches, and the TEDx stage. And so that I know when I say that we can transcend and overcome whatever our fears were, whatever our past traumas were, that I, I, I do that from experience. It's like my adolescence was one long depression with suicidal fantasies. And these days, like, no matter the details of my life, you know, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes, no matter the circumstances, I never question my self-worth. Like, that is established. It's like, I know who I am. And, and so that I know that, you know, the people who follow the teachings and the path that I guide them through in this book, they can get there as well. Interesting. Looking at your book, I haven't had a book to review, which is one
0: of three in a series. And I wanted to ask you, have you already gotten the concepts for the other? I know you have the title here. uh, Book two is going to be attracting and nurturing relationships at work. And book three is going to be living your true purpose and leading with soul. Have you already started to work on those other two books already? Or how how has that worked into your debut of this book? Because normally when people release a book, they'll do one at a time and not allude to the others. So yeah. I kind of like the fact that you're already telling your audience, "Hey, if you like this and Gloria liked it, there's two more coming."
2: Yeah, yeah. What what happened was that I was that it was all going to be one book and it was getting too long. <laughs> and and so I thought, you know what, this is just people have a, you know, we all have a and it's, we live in an ADD society with a very mm-hmm. limited attention span. So I decided to split the book into three. And so I'm halfway done through the through the second book on relationships. It also mirrors the themes of the retreats that I've been doing for 30 years. So so a lot of the contents in my head or I've been developing it, it's just that I gotta get out of, out of my head onto onto page. And yeah, so the, the one, the next one I'm I think it'll come out in I'm shooting for the spring of 2022. Excellent. Around Valentine's Day. I feel like it's a roadmap in certain ways. Would you say
0: that? The way you're writing it, because when I went through your, for, through this one, uh, awakening the soul of power, I felt like you break it down in such a way that's very relatable. And as I was going, obviously I know spiritual concepts because I do I do read spiritual stuff quite like you do, probably, or just live in it. You're in it all the time. But for a layperson who doesn't really delve in spirituality, I, I love the way that you present your ideas, and I like yeah. the way that you share concepts and like with the ego and the interplay between conquering your ego and and, and, and having a soulful purpose. Um, I want to ask you, going in your background, I know you mentioned that you lived in Cuba during Castro's regime and that you escaped. One of the things you alluded to when you went to Georgia, I believe, after you relocated to the United States, um, your sexuality had something in your early history that we haven't brought up yet. And I wanted to ask you, how did you deal with being gay in America in the 19-whatevers? <laughs> and yeah. uh, what steps did you take to Overcome those challenges because I know that's a very tough road sometimes.
2: Yeah, and it's a great question. I, I got to tell you, Jason, that's in the book, as you know. Out of dozens of do- dozens of podcast interviews, you're the only one so far who has actually picked up on that and had the courage, I guess, to to ask me about it. Um, and I don't know why they have it. Maybe they're intimidated by the question. I don't know. Um, yeah, well, that's that's the reason that my adolescence was was so difficult. Um, because I, I knew from a young age um, that I was gay. And at the same time that I was really Catholic, and you know, and th- that there was a part of me that wanted to serve the sacred, that, to serve God as I understood it then. Um, and in those days I translated that desire, you know, wanting to become a priest, which I think it was, I know it was a legitimate vocation, like a legitimate desire to serve and to make a difference. And looking back on it, I think there was also subconsciously in those days, I I naively believed that that priests were celibate. And so in my mind, it was a way that I could sublimate my sexuality that I didn't have to deal with it. Um, So so I can't tell you how difficult that was. It was like trying to reconcile my sexuality and my spirituality in a religion that told me that I was going to burn in hell for eternity. Mm -hmm it's like difficult difficult years it's like happy pride month
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna burn an eternity yeah <laughs> i just like to lighten
2: the mood a little with that that's hilarious that. it's a strong it, message that you have to recover. oh and and one time i remember i was i was young i must have been younger than 10. no i must have been like 10 or 11 and and i asked this priest well, how long is it is eternity exactly? Because I don't know if you, what you know about the Catholic religion, but they have kind of this hierarchy of, of sins. They have the, the menial sins, which you know you're lying, you're stealing, that kind of thing. That's not such a big deal. But then you have this other category of mortal sins, which means that if you've committed a mortal sin and you haven't received absolution through a priest, this can't be done directly, it has to be given to you through a priest, you go to hell for eternity. And to put things in context technically masturbation is still considered a mortal sin most priests don't uh, don't don't enforce that or don't scare people with that but so but i mean so not to mention the unmentionable sin that i was really worried about and so he told me which is such an interesting thing you know i guess coming from an island environment he goes well imagine you're going to go to the beach with a thimble and you start taking out of the ocean with a thimble that's eternity which of course terrified me <laughs> Um, worried about the unmentionable sin that I was really worried about you know it went through my what got me out of that depression was a combination of three things when I was probably 18 I fell in love for the first time and and experienced for the first time having sex and making love and around the same time I, I went through a phase of experimentation with mind expanding substances which began a process of questioning reality and and the the Societal norms and what to believe and all that kind of stuff. And then I took a class in existentialism in college, in my first year of college, and which again began to to deepen that question of that process of questioning and questioning the Catholic worldview and why I believed the things I believed. And really difficult time to like you know, dismantle a whole system of beliefs and, like, and a worldview, but it was so worth it because. Once you know, sort of like the Phoenix Rising, you know, like like you take everything down and then you get to build it up and you get to decide for yourself, you know, who you are and what you're here for and what you believe and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. So I know most of us end up going through that process because but I think that is one of the 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 gifts of being gay in a society that that still, and not so much anymore, but still it's certainly when I was coming out, it, it was so wrong and so bad and so sinful um that it forced you you know to go through that process it's like it sent me into an existential crisis at a very young age but i'm glad for that because i kind of got a head start i'm sure
0: it gives you a, a deep layer of empathy where you can empathize with anyone in our society who deals with yep. any type of adversity or ridicule or isolation which i think is powerful in your role as a transformative like you know as a coach and as a as an expert on heroism, I think you, you know, you say in your book, you, you kind of like, you're very humble in your book and I give you credit for that. But you say in, in one of your chapters, I think it's chapter three, you mentioned, what does a gay man have to say about empowering women? <laughs> and you know what I say to that? Everything. <laughs> because there's, there's similarities. I'm not trying to be societal here or anything with sociology. I'm not any of that. But when you look at the similarities of what women are going through and when you look at empowering them in our society in this male dominated society, as you say, structure roles or authoritarian top down. Well, you know, in America, we have the similar structure here. We have a top down approach. There's yeah. something called the glass ceiling for women. Yeah. It's a similar thing. It's not Cuba. We didn't have Castro here, <laughs> but we we have our own issues that we have to go up against. And I think your book has a lot to say about empowering women. And I like that. I love the message of empowerment for our audience and for our society, because I think we need as much of that as possible in our post COVID era
2: that we're living in right now yeah um, man, thank you for picking up on that I, I also think it was kind of ballsy and i love it to to write a book as a gay man uh, about what it means to be a man in the 21st century um and and you're right the book you know had the, the book has a uh, it's for everybody but it has that particular focus on women's empowerment stemming from my my conviction uh like when i think about it strategically like what is one thing that we could do that we could focus on that's going to then impact a bunch of other issues that we're facing, and and it's not to idealize women, it's not to put women up on a pedestal, um, it's not to give women more crap that they have to do and more of a mess to clean up. It's because as a as a species, as a planet, we've been working so off balance where it comes to the balance between the, the masculine and the feminine energies. And so, I believe that when women are in fifty percent of power in this world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty. I agree. And- and how we treat the environment, and social justice, and and wealth distribution, and to all of it, um, and, but what about man? Because what, what's what I it's what is also inter- interesting is that this more patriarchal system of power over, you know, the kind of power that requires that we push somebody down, that we step on them, that we put our knee to their neck, um, power that is based on force, on fear, on control, on domination that that system of toxic masculinity, for lack of another word, um, it doesn't work for anybody, including men. And, and so let's look at some a couple of numbers that are really interesting to look at. Um, longevity, women in the US outlive men by five years. We look at those numbers globally, it's seven years. Suicide, men commit suicide in this country four times as frequently as women. 70% of the of the suicides in the US are committed by middle-aged white men who are still the, 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 the group that holds most of the power in this world. So what's up with that? You know, why does it why is that? How could how could that be? What's not working? And I think part of the reason for that is because we've got this twisted definition about what it means to be a man, um, which And that somebody along the way decided that the emotions were weakness. It's like, wait a minute, the emotions are not weak. They're not strength. They're not good. They're not bad. Emotions are energy, just like everything else. Um, What used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics that it's true. That means the body's energy. It's vibration. so So are the emotions. And so because we suppress our emotions, we all do, but in particular men, who ever since we were little boys, we're told little boys don't cry because guess what? Then only little girls and you don't want that's the last thing you want to be. Um, And and it's kind of messed up and it's kind of sad um, because what happens as a result is we walk around like these unfeeling, uncaring robots, which has an impact on our relationships. Who wants to be in relationship with an uncaring robot? Um, and, and so, and then we limit so much of the, of the human experience because of this misunderstanding and misinterpretations of what it means to be a man. So that's why I spent a a whole chapter on that too, and, and looked at some of the traditional male roles, like the provider, the conqueror, the explorer, and kind of updated them, upgraded them for the 21st century.
0: I was looking at your book and you mentioned That you have an unleash your inner hero Facebook group. I want to see if you could share that a little with our audience in case. You know, I don't know if it's only for people who who are in your book or if it's for anybody,
1: but I I always
0: like I'd like to have you explain that a little bit to our audience and what it's about.
2: Yeah, it's 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 creating a community, a supportive community of people like, you know, like like who are into the kind of stuff you and I are talking about, people who who want to explore. Um, the inner world, right? That's one of the ways in which in which I talk about and re, redefine ex, the explorer. Um, you know, it's like, what if what if we explored the inner world and the vast universe inside each one of us that it remains, tragically, for the most part, unexplored, and and that is where all the answers to all our questions and all our problems and the solutions to all our issues are in there. So, what if we explored that? And so it's also for people who are, who are have had it with this kind of hierarchical uh, power over structure, and who are interested in exploring issues like, well, how do we do power with instead of power over? Um, because mm-hmm. there, that's one of the first things that that you know that we get into in the book is that there's different kinds of power, and that we the reason many of us have a an ambivalent conflicted relationship to powers like we wanted but we're afraid of it is that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing you know power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely and so then what good-hearted person wants to be corrupted what they forgot to tell us is that that quote by Lord Acton um, was speaking specifically about political power not personal power and so combine that with the fact that you know that, we, that we, we every day we turn on the news and we witness at least one abuse of power. And so, again, what good hearted person was to be abusive, wants to abuse power, and then combine that with what we were just talking about, about the emotions, that we, we hate conflict, we avoid confrontation, we run away from our feelings. And what happens when you put all that into a mix is that we end up giving our power away. We end up saying yes, when inside we really feel no, we end up playing small, we end up settling for less, we end up, and and the sad part is that we do all of this for an illusion of security, for a false sense of acceptance, and for morsels, crumbs of pseudo love. And, and so it's not an effective strategy. And it's about time that we get, you know, like upgrade our relationship, both to power so that, we, that there is a way that we can step into power that is a match with who we are, with, with the innate goodness in our hearts. I love that. Very well said. I'll ask you this.
0: Your book talks about the theme of heroism. And I, wanted to, I was looking at your book and I'm like, what does heroism mean to you? And who is your personal hero? that you feel inspired you the most on your
2: journey so far? Hmm. God, that's a great, great question. You know, the one that pops into mind right now is, is my mom and, and both my parents, but my, my dad's been gone 20 years. My mom is now in, in that process of, of fading. And, you know, when I think about the fact that they had nine kids, when we left Cuba, my mom was, was eight months pregnant and the oldest, my oldest sister was 12 and I was 10. So all nine kids. The last kid was was born in Spain. N- they didn't speak a word of English, you know, when we came to the States. And the heroism that the the number and the and the depth of sacrifices that they made, you know, for their kids to to feed us and to put us all through private schools and to dress us, it's like it just boggles my mind. It just boggles mm-hmm. my mind. So your mom was a personal hero. That sounds powerful because it sounds like she
0: did a heck of a lot <laughs> to help you guys acclimate to the United States after fleeing Cuba. I feel like you could write a book about your family background in greater detail, and that would be a, a very entertaining and insightful book as well for the masses based yeah. on your story. I mean, not many people have personal historical stories that coincide with our, our modern history. And so if you fleeing Castro's regime, it, it resonates with me. You know, like I feel like that's very powerful. And it's still it's timely because you're still struggling with that in Cuba today, even though Castro's are gone, that the communism's not gone and the totalitarian is, you know, none of that's gone. It's still there. So you're still fighting that same battle so many years later. And I guess for you as a Cuban American, what do you think about the future of the country over there, your home roots, like with the way things have been and what you know now at this stage of your life? What do you think about going back to Cuba or your, your reflection on your childhood there?
2: I mean. Um, like I said before, I'm really grateful for the experience, and and I did go back. I went back maybe I don't know ten years ago, um, which was a really really powerful experience. And in spite of of, of like the lack of everything that there is over there, um, the lack of freedom and, and the lack of just physical stuff and, and you know goods and food, what one thing that really impacted me is that the people haven't lost the you know the joie de vivre, the, the 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 joy of life so you hear you hear music and you hear laughter um and and that there is this creativity that that's why you see these you know cars from the 50s that they still have running somehow um and so I really respected that and honor that. Um I don't know what's gonna happen. You know, As like Kat, Raul just retired, I think it was last year or the year before um it's still totalitarian. There still hasn't been enough of an opening that's slowly happening. You know like people now have, have access to the internet, which I imagine um, that's going to have a really powerful effect um, in terms of, of information and access to information. But then again, like you have China, you know where I've, I've taught you know many times too, and the government still has the ability to control the access that you have and what portals you're, you're able to, to access. So it's and it's really interesting, yeah, I'm really grateful for all that perspective because it like so many things that we take for granted here, it's you know it's like like, like let, let me give you this example, just like such a simple thing. What is chewing gum to us here in the states? Like you know we stick a, a piece of gum in our mouth, and we spit it out, we don't even think about it. Mm-hmm. when we were kids and we had it better than most because my parents had friends who worked in foreign embassies. So a couple of times a year, we used to get a pack of chiclets, you know, and divide the chiclets between all the kids. And what we do is at the end of the day, we get a glass of water, you know, with a little little bit of water in the bottom. We put our gum in there, put toothpaste and stir it up so it'd be minty the next day and then hide it for like two weeks at a time until my mom found it and threw it out eventually so so and, and that's just like a simple thing like chewing gum the the real big things that we take for granted here's like the the liberties the the rights you know the the things that we take for granted here like t- to decide to go to college or what you're going to study like those those are things that not everybody has around the world freedom of choice freedom of choice individuality <laughs> oh my god is like just that there's just no words you know that's priceless and you know, from my perspective with the this country, which, which I so deeply love and appreciate. And I don't think that one can really appreciate what America means unless you come from a place where you didn't have those freedoms and, and those rights. And so it's it's scary to me to see how closely we have come and skirted and are flirting with uh democracy.
0: Hmm. Terrifying to me. Uh last year and seeing what our country is dealing with and grappling with. I became a lawyer because of my love of the Constitution and our, our our type of government and all our rights and everything else. And last year, you mentioned social justice. Last year, when George Floyd was murdered, I went and protested peacefully each time, five times. And it really instilled in me that you know, our society is, we take for granted so many things. But I mean, the democracy that we enjoy and the rights that we enjoy are fluid. They're not written in stone. And it's not like they can't be changed. With the with a dictatorial regime of our own, or an abuse of power on our own, you know it's terrifying to me to think about that. And when I was looking at your book, and you were talking about the power dynamics and how we can look at power from different perspectives, one of the questions I had when I was looking at your book is, you you talk about heroes and connecting with power and and, and authority and those kind of things, and I'm looking and I'm like, well, how do you think a hero can relate to power in a way that's different than hierarchy, fear? force or abuse like what do we need to do to change the way we consider power in our lives and in our government and in our
2: society yeah great great question uh jason and by the way i love that as an attorney that that you balance the the legal with the spiritual Uh, you're you're only one of i only know one other person who's who does that um friend who who's a, a lawyer and teaches yoga it's his real passion um he's a yoga teacher um and it's interesting you know given your what what your inspiration uh last year that today is the Chauvin got sentenced. Yeah. uh interesting timing with that um so yeah i think i think the main thing and, and what i get into fairly quickly in the book is realizing that there are different kinds of power so so there are worldly power you know the way that that the world relates to power or the, the ego take relates to power which for example we tend to associate with it with money or fame or people who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's a corporate ladder or some kind of religious institution or whatever it is. But the thing about all those kinds of expressions of power is that because they're external, because they're outside of us, they're they're fickle. They're here today, gone tomorrow. Whereas the other kind of power that that I'm calling spiritual power or soulful power, it's inside each one of us it's inherent it's innate to each one of us nobody can give it to us nobody can take it away we we are the only ones who can give it away and, and like we were talking about before give it away for some lame reasons that are not very effective and um, worldly power always has an agenda so it's very self-serving it's always trying to get something for itself and it's always it's self-aggrandizing so it's always kind of blowing itself up to, to seem bigger than it is whereas the other kind of power, spiritual power, inner power, authentic power, is humble. It doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. And it's about service, it's about making a difference. And so I think of, for example, a Gandhi, or again, Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, in, in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet, you would never know from looking at them, how much power they hold, until it's called for. And then, watch out, like, Mm-hmm. Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its zenith, at its highest point, without ever shooting a gun or, or landing a single punch. Talk about power. That's that's true. And, and you know what? I respect Gandhi
0: tremendously for his ability to lead in ways just by example in his life. And, you know, true leaders don't have to call themselves leaders. They lead by example or they lead from within and they yeah. help guide. And it's just a, it's like you with your book. You're sharing a message because you have the passion for it, you have the vision for it, and you make it happen. But you don't probably view yourself as a leader per se, even though you are in your own right as an author and as a spiritual person and as a visionary. And so our society has tons of unsung heroes, tons of people in our lives who have such purpose and value. And when we're impacted in such a positive way by the heroes that we, like your mother, my mother, whoever it is.
2: Yeah
0: and acts of kindness and things that we can do in each other's in each other's orbit i feel like that that is something that we can look at as hope for our futures and helping us get past a lot of our problems that we're being plagued with right now
2: yeah and and and, you know jason that's so true Mm -hmm. and what gives me hope is you know i know the hundredth monkey um effect you know was kind of demythified like the story that it was based on turns out that it wasn't quite that way but i'm still banking on on this kind of critical mass concept like enough of us get it enough of us wake up um that then hopefully it'll be like a like like a mass thing that happens um and in the meantime when, when i think about the situation that we find ourselves in um and this hole that we have collectively dug ourselves into when i think about how do we get out of this the only thing that comes to mind is is paraphrasing einstein who said that you can't solve a problem from the same level of consciousness in which it was created so the only thing that i that i see is going to pop us out of this hole is nothing short of, of a revolution in consciousness a leap like a spiritual revolution a leap in in consciousness and that's why I think that it's all hands on deck. And that's the, the message of this book, that anybody who's listening to this or, or watching this, who has the slightest suspicion that they have work to do um, as, as teachers, as healers, uh, as activists and promoters of change, um, it's like, this is it. This this is the time that we've been waiting for. And I'm sorry, but we don't have the time to wait another five years to get another another degree, another certification. Get get those things if you want to, but don't use that as an excuse to not step into your role. All hands on deck. It's like roll up your sleeves.
0: <laughs> exactly. Right? Roll up your sleeves and get ready. I'm looking at it, and I, actually this is an interesting synchronistic point that I'm looking at. I'm all about synchronicity, by the way. Angel numbers, times of day, all that. Yep. I get, I, I, you're, that's why I brought it up. I feel like you as well. Uh, I'm looking at you, you know the way we were just talking about the different forms of power, and you mentioned soul power. And there's a whole egoistic power, ego power. And I want to say, could you say that certain people that are governed by ego power are the ones that are like pretty ruthless and authoritarian or the ones that may not be the ones that are compassionate and reflective and respectful of others?
2: Yeah, and, and, and yeah, the, the way that I would, I think so. The way that I would frame it, it's that it's based on fear. So in, in times of dramatic change, like 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 we're, we're like we're, living. Um, you know like dramatic social changes like dramatic economic um intellectual information change like everything's you know the environment's changing everything's changing in front of our eyes and one thing that we can say that it's we're actually witnessing is the end of the of the patriarchy and so in times of, dr- of dramatic change like there's certain number of people that are, that are going to be more fear based and who are going to go back? Right, they're going to go look back towards th- this idealized past that doesn't even exist. No. Um, it's like, oh, let's go back to the way that it was in the fifties or, or the sixties or, or whatever. How, however far they're looking back, but it, but that doesn't even exist. Not reality. It's, it's not a reality, it's a reality, and it's it's living in denial. And and I think, you know, that a lot of a lot of men are are doing that because as women are getting more empowered, and as women are rightfully um, you know, claiming the, their own, you know, e- e- equity and justice and equal pay. And it's amazing that it hasn't even, as well, it's about 100 years now since the women got the f- f- first right to vote, uh, and that minorities are stepping up and, and demanding equal treatment and, and equal justice and all that. The repos- the main repository of power, which were white men, like to me, it, in disproportionate numbers, they're looking back and trying to hold on to ways the way things used to be. And, and I actually have compassion for that because, you know, for somebody who, whose identity was to be the provider right? I think it's like, I forget the numbers now, it's in the book. It said are 30, 40% of the households, of the heterosexual households in this in this country, the women are beginning to out-earn their men. I think it's approaching 40%. And 50% of college graduates today are women. So things are changing in front of our I eyes. hear that. <laughs> and, and for men, you know, who whose sole identity was that, it's like suddenly it's like, well, who am I if I'm not my job? As as a lot of these jobs are being replaced, you know, outsourced um, and gone, you know, gone overseas and replaced by machines and computers. So so that's I I really have you know my heart goes out to them because they're going through a dramatic um, identity crisis. And and part one way to go is you look towards the back and try to reclaim a past that is impossible mm-hmm. to to reclaim. It's yeah, not on the wrong happen. side of history. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah in the wrong side of conscious evolution i don't you know you can't put that cat bag in back back in the bag and so but but that's why i added that chapter and and look at some of the traditional male roles and kind of Provide suggestions as to ways that we can that we can assume them today. It's like, wait a minute, who says that being a provider is only about bringing a paycheck? It's like, wait a minute, what a limited way of of looking at yourself and and looking at what what who you are as a man. You know, what about providing be a safe container for your family uh, to grow and to thrive and and to be all that they can be to really fulfill their potential? What about being a rock? Uh, for your family, so that people get to to stand on that rock and, and, and explore who they are. It's like, man, that's a much deeper way of looking at at the provider role. Well,
0: and, and it's also this idea. If things aren't the way they were in the past and things are changing in society, one of the things you can do is change your paradigm. If they don't have to be victims. I'm talking about white males who feel threatened by the advent of women becoming What they should have been all along in our society, right? And you and I sound like we come from families where there's strong matriarchal women figures in our lives. I came from a single parent female mother, you know, and grandmother who are strong in my life. So I respect women in authority. I was never threatened by women. I don't hold on to that at all. And so anyone who feels threatened, like we're discussing, it's like put your big boy pants on, right? (laughs) And learn how to have empathy, understanding, emotional support. Why don't you play some of the roles that your wife or your partner or whoever it is in your life gave you that? And I know you can attribute that to feminine roles, but it's not really. It's about being balanced. Exactly. That's how I look at it. Exactly. And it's like, switch your hat. If you think you're being stuck in your career and you're not happy because you're being paid, you know, you have threats to your career by whatever, other people or whoever it is, innovate. I mean, why can't we innovate? You I mean, innovated you by going from Cuba to Georgia to
2: being an author and a spiritual leader.
0: I've innovated. Why can't other people innovate? I don't understand that.
2: Yeah, and, and you, we get to reinvent ourselves. We get we get to you know reboot and decide who we are and, and change course midstream if we want to. Like, and and I love that you already went for that for the jugular and 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 used the word victimization um, because that to me that is the single most difficult thing on this heroic journey. Um, you know, most of us have this victim relationship to life and to others and and if if we want to have personal power if we want to reclaim our power as long as we're holding anybody outside of us or anything outside of us responsible for our state of being for our condition we just gave our power away so whether it's mom who did this or dad who didn't do that or the teacher or the or or the minister or or the the, the system racism or or homophobia or sexism not to deny any of those things that they're, they're that they're real and they actually have an impact but as long as we're holding anything outside of us responsible for our state of being. We just give our power away, and tragically, often to the perpetrator. And and that is so hard for people to get. You're right.
0: We are living in pivotal times. We are living in in what I call, like, we're we're just shredding all old norms, right, to society. One of the things I want to bring up to you is we were talking about uh, LGBT stuff. How about the fact that Carl Nassib came out recently as the first NFL player to be gay? and how that took precedence this week in the local news cycle. I was asking about your opinion on that. I consider Carl a hero in our classic sense of the word, doing something that takes courage and takes some strength. And how do you see that in the reference of your of your own concepts that we're discussing today about taking bold acts and standing out of your comfort zone and having that courage to put yourself out there and try to change things
2: for everyone else? Yeah, and that's huge. Like it, What he did is huge to be the first active NFL player to come out that is huge and um, I just I read a meme today which was which was interesting which said that you know because if if we go back to Stonewall you know I wasn't there but the stories that I've read that it was that it was more feminine men and 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 drag queens who were at the at the at the head of that, people who couldn't hide like like maybe I could or maybe um, this football player did and and so many other like we know he's not the only one. Um, and so so I wanted to to also honor like without taking anything away from him, I also wanted to know those who went before and who couldn't hide their 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 sexual orientation because they made it possible. Right. Like people like, I don't know, so many people like, and even people like Ellen, you know, who who did it early on and also took so many risks professionally. And and so so yeah, I mean, I, I really honor it. I'm very grateful that I did. And and it's a long tradition because it's it's part of what what we need to do. It's it's in going back to that conversation of balancing the masculine and the feminine, because as a culture, we have turned the feminine into something weak, weak. Because the important thing is that we have turned the feminine into weakness. And, you know, who said, like, if you want to talk power, let's talk about the power of creation that resides in a female body. Like, that's power. And I'm not going to do it justice, but the way that it's paraphrasing. Um, Betty White, you know, there's no way I'm going to tell this story like, like she would. But apparently they were having a conversation about, she was being interviewed about something and somebody said something about having balls or having, you know, comparing it to courage. And she goes, wait a minute, I don't even know how we started that connection between having balls and courage because you thump those little things and the guy collapses, bends over in, in, in pain. You want to talk courage? You want to talk strength? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. As I was saying, uh, we'll edit out whatever
0: that was, but we had a thunderstorm go through. So that just disrupted me. Part of living in Florida during rainy season, right? Yeah. I uh, I do want to thank you. Before we conclude our, our interview, because I'm just enjoying this whole experience today and having this conversation and the flow of it. I, was, I, I think one of the things I wanted to ask you before we got disrupted by the weather was every hero has a villain. And looking at the villains of our modern era... What do you consider the archetype of a villain in 2021 in in, in our society here in the United States based on your viewpoints of calling all heroes, awakening the soul of power? like How do you see heroes as we've discussed this in our concepts today, what what do you see about villains? Like How do you see us taking on the villains in our society? Do you identify the archetype of, of what our modern villain is? And what do you think we need to do in order to overcome anything that villains... Try to keep the power hold us down that kind of thing
2: it would be really easy for me to point the finger and, and and signal other people out um i think it's more valuable to realize that the that the villain is within inside each one of us and 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 that's the ego mind Ego, the, and we all have we we, we all have an ego and, and so it's it's the level of consciousness in which humanity is stuck. And that's why I spent the first quarter of the book talking about what the ego is, because if we want to have the kind of relationships that we really long for, if we want to have a, a sense of personal empowerment, if we want to have a life that is filled with meaning and with purpose, we've got to understand what the ego is. And we don't have the time to get into it now, but it's it's that is the villain, that is the source of all our suffering. Um Good answer. And and yeah, there are people in the world that who embody that and express yeah. that than others. <laughs> uh, but I think rather than adding to the polarization that we're all experiencing, I think it's more valuable to say, hey, you know what, let's, let's all look within. I love that. Actually, tying into my, my one of my final questions
0: with you is how do we heal our ego? Right. Because yes, we all awesome. have one and we all have
2: challenges to it. So how do we heal it? It's a huge question, too. Um, and, and it's a process, right? It's a, I'm, I'm in the middle of a year-long virtual coaching program that that I, you know, thank you COVID because after 30 years mm-hmm. of doing, you know, live retreats, COVID forced my hand and I had to create virtual program, of uh, coaching program. But what I'm loving about it is that I get to spread out the teachings over the, over the course of a year and deliver it piecemeal, right? With because people I've noticed over the years will come to a weekend retreat and have this amazing experience, life-changing, and if they don't have a support system and a practice like their own practice and reminders when they go back home, it's really easy to get sucked back into the day to day and to and into the distractions of life, which are many. And then they have to, you know, then they forget and those voices of the ego of self-doubt and fear and, and lack of self-worth and all that stuff starts dragging them down again. This concept it's allowing me to to spread them out and to deliver it piecemeal. And, and to here's the key differences. Interactivity. So just in the way that this, the book is designed, the, um, every week they get a little bit of content and the difference is that they have practices that are designed to apply the teachings to our lives because we don't need more information. We're, we've got information overload. What we need is transformation. And, and so that's what those practices are designed to do to ensure that the teachings don't stay at just a hypothetical, oh, what a great idea. It's like, we wanna apply them to their lives. And just like last night, we finished the second quarter, and it was so humbling and so beautiful to see how people, how well people are doing already in that very issue that you're asking of, of understanding. So that's the first step, is understanding what the ego is, because there's so much confusion about it. So it's like understanding that's part of that question of why we do the things we do and why we limit ourselves and why we allow ourselves to be held back by fear. It's all connected to the ego. Why we react and then regret, um, you know, saying or, or or something we said or or did, like so. That's it's really really important. There's no way around that um, if we want to 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 be free ultimately. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's self observation, right? It's like like even with my own story, like we, it's it's evident that so much of what we do is subconscious. That we're driven by all these traumas that we never healed, and that we're and all these lifetime of suppressed emotions that. Now we know they're just there under the surface in the tissues of our body, impacting and affecting our relationships and the quality of our lives. So Carl Jung you know, said that part of the process of enlightenment is making the subconscious conscious so that we can bring choice back into the equation. So, so a big part of the answer to your question is understanding what we do and then observing ourselves so that we begin to see the patterns. Like, do we tend, you know, what what are our triggers? What kind of people and situations get us and trigger us? Understanding what projection is so that we can reel back those projections because it's a pretty safe bet if it's there, it's here. And the more whatever they do gets us upset, the clearer that it's over here too in some way, in some different subtle way that's gonna look different, but we're doing the same thing probably in relationship to ourselves and and let me just take that to the max like terrorism right like nobody listened to this is gonna it's about to wrap their bodies up in explosives and and walk into a crowded mall and detonate themselves right we're not we're not there but so it's really easy to otherize that and to make them the others like oh my god i would never do that and the ego is very good about that about separating and making itself superior or inferior but but let me ask us this you know have have we ever terrorized somebody else emotionally have we ever terrorized ourselves and of the answer is of course yeah. the number that we do to ourselves we the, that inner that ego is the inner judge that harsh inner judge the things that we say to ourselves in our heads we would never ever say to anybody else so that there is an inner terrorist inside each one of us too and and so that you know understanding those patterns and while we do the things we do, it, 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 it only, it's only possible by self-awareness. So rather than going through life, numbing out, running away from from, from our problems and from, from ourselves, refusing to face our inner demons, anybody can do, reacting, anybody can do, uh, pausing and and, and having the, the, the clarity and the presence to, to in the moment say, ouch, that one stung. And rather than just going into that automatic ego reaction and stinging them back or punching them back against the wall, it's like, wait a minute, that one hurt. How do I want to be in response to this? Right, just choice, rather than being driven by the by these egoic, they do this, I do that, eh, 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 and then the us blows up. And so, understanding self awareness, and then the breath. developing a relationship with your breath, because that's what allows us to to bring choice back into the equation rather than just reacting. If we have the presence to to slow the breath down, then that buys us some time, quiet down. it quiets down the the heart. If we quiet down the heart, then the nervous system also relaxes. And it all begins from slowing down the breath. I I do breath work in my practice as a psychic. I meditate a lot with, I take three deep
0: breaths before any reading I ever give. And I find it grounds me. And then when I meditate, I mean, I've meditated more in the last 365 days than I ever did for 45 years. Like I, I love meditation. It's my personal journey inward. Everything you're describing, I connect with, I understand. And can you imagine if our society adopted even half of the principles we're talking about spiritually? I mean, I give the analogy that when you're stuck in a traffic jam or right. And you're sitting there and you can't move at all. Well, if you meditate while you're driving in a traffic jam or pray or whatever you decide to do spiritually, you'll find that that is not going to be as much of a, of a burden. It's like, use your time wisely. If you're stuck in line on something, meditate in your head, pray, utilize the faculties that are available to us, but understanding the spiritual concepts. Cause we are mind, body, spirit, Yes, and if we can grow in our spiritual uh, dynamic, then everything else will be enhanced because of that. And I think what you're repre- what you're discussing and describing to me is an evolution of the recognition of the importance of spirituality in our everyday lives and how it can help us be tooled to better deal with our challenges with
2: one another, de-escalating the thank ego. You. Yes. And, and thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the fact that you're an attorney who gets this and who not only gets it, but actually lives it, practices it. It's like you walk your talk um, that you. gives me hope. Thank you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. We are coming to the end of the, of the interview, but I did want to ask you this. If you were to summarize your spiritual journey in one word, what would it be and why?
2: Well, I think it would have to be surrender. Um, like somebody asked me recently, which it's funny that I hadn't thought about it or nobody had asked me before. And they asked me what what is your greatest gift? And after considering that, what I landed on was my capacity to love, like the depth of my love, um, and the depth of my surrender. And and you know, that's a whole other conversation. I have a whole chapter about that because we think surrender is like throwing in the white towel and giving up, and it's it's and it's it's not like. There's huge power in surrender, yeah. counterintuitively. And and it has to do with stepping out of the ego and stepping out and stepping into the other realm, like our authentic self, who we really are. When you say that, it makes me think
0: of um, if anyone deals with a spiritual relationship, like a twin flame dynamic, and they go through this topsy-turvy dynamic. I've gone through this with someone I met about a year ago. Is a twin flame in my life. And the topsy-turviness of it, you know? And part of the stage is finally to surrender. And when you surrender, you're actually freeing yourself in many ways. And you're enlarging your opportunities of growth and change and transformation. So I I can understand what you're describing and and, and relate to it very strongly and appreciate. So I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing your book, Awakening the Soul of Power and sharing these concepts, because I think they're so pivotal and critical and and so timely with all of this. And I think it's very relevant to what we're working through as our society right now and in our world. So I want to thank you for coming on for that. All
2: right. And and thank you. Thank you for having Absolutely. me. Thank you for everything that you do on, on all our behalf. I just want to thank Christian Del Huerta, uh, for coming on the show today, sharing
0: his, his viewpoints and concepts and ideas with his new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, How to Live Heroically and Set Yourself Free. This book is a great read. It's, a, it's an amazing book. Check it out. And check out our guest. And, and I just can't begin to say enough. The website to check out is www.soulfulpower.com. I'll repeat that, www.soulfulpower.com. Awakening the Soul of Power book is also listed on that site when you look at it. And I just wanna encourage everyone to check out this book. Check out Soulful Hero Media to publish this book and keep an open mind when you read these concepts because if it's something that's new to you, learn from it. There's a lot of lessons you can learn from reading this book. And not just about our own personal individual experiences, but about our individual journeys within ourselves and within society. I can't speak enough about how good of a, of, a, of a book this is, how good of a read, and the concepts are very intrinsic in spirituality. So if you're new to spirituality, check out this book, you will be enlightened and you'll be happy you did so. Thank you for checking out our episode today. I'll leave this. When we were talking with uh, Christian earlier and, and we were discussing about freeing ourselves, I thought back to a song when I was younger since we had Gloria Estefan on, this, on, on the early part of the conversation, I'm not going to quote her, but I will say free your mind and the rest will follow. That's an uh, allusion to uh, in Vogue. And I thought that song popped in my head because I'm thinking of freeing ourselves from the burdens of the past and the constructs of our mind that we need to get through in our ego to get past where we need to go and evolve. So with that said, thank you for tuning in. We're going to have plenty of more amazing episodes coming back. Um, and I look forward to the next time stay positive but when you're positive anything's possible thank you
1: thank you for listening to this episode of the social psychic radio show don't forget to join us for another episode next time if you enjoyed the show we'd love for you to subscribe rate and give us a review on itunes you can also check us out on facebook and don't forget to visit the social psychic youtube channel until next time it's a big world out there keep an open mind embrace your paradigms and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Bakers, no matter where you order free
0: pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park, or wherever. Start
1: your cart with the Baker's app
0: and save from wherever today. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More. Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save $1 each with card. Baker's. Fresh for everyone. Hey there, I'm DC. I host The Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys.
2: Electricast. Electricast.